I mean, our thought is we're viewing this like we're getting ready for the race of our life. And so we are prepping ourselves. We're doing all the work, the training, so that as the cloud lifts, you know, we can run like we've never run before. Welcome to the Resilient Recruiter Podcast. This is your host, Mark Whitby. My guest today is Chris Holmes. Chris is an executive recruiter and partner at O'Connell Group, which is a leading search firm in consumer marketing and market research. She's also the best-selling author of Ignite Your Career, which is a book she launched in July 2020. Before becoming a recruiter, Chris worked for a decade in consumer marketing for with companies like Johnson & Johnson and Kraft Foods. She's a graduate of Tufts. She has an MBA from the Kellogg School of Management at Northwestern. She's a member of the Pinnacle Society, which is a consortium of industry-leading recruiters in North America. Chris, thank you for being here. Thanks so much, Mark. I'm excited to join your show. Fantastic. I am slowly working my way through the Pinnacle Society membership. Um, It's kind of a ready-made group of high achievers that uh, uh, I've really enjoyed meeting some of your, your colleagues there and associates. What's impressed me most, actually, apart from, you know, how um, high achieving people are, is actually how willing they are to share and help others in the industry, which is kind of the mission of my show. So, um, yeah. So thank you for for being here and being willing to do this. Um, You are welcome. And I tell you, the Pinnacle Society is exactly that. It's brilliant people who are wonderful partners who have great diverse ideas that we all leverage in different ways. Cool, I love it. Um, So look, I'm excited to hear about your achievements and and also talk about your book shortly. But first, let's dive straight in at the deep end. Um, As you know, the theme of the show is the resilient recruiter. So I, I love hearing about stories where you've faced adversity and, and how you've dealt with it and gotten stronger as a result. What's been the biggest challenge for you in your 25-year recruitment career? Um, well, Mark, I will tell you the biggest challenge by far was when our founder um, and the owner of the company, Brian O'Connell, passed away uh, about 13 years ago suddenly. It was unexpected. He had elective surgery and it, it took him. And so it was a huge shock. And, um, you know, I will tell you that we were all devastated by his loss, um, but we are also devastated at the thought of the O'Connell group going away because he had built something wonderful, not just in terms of who we were, but our culture and how we operated. And we were all committed to keeping it going. And so that was, you know, obviously devastating in so many ways. Wow. And so I guess something like that is going to affect you on a emotional level as well as on a business level. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about the the business aspect first. What impact did it have for you and the other leaders in the business um, to try and, you know, figure out where to go from there? Well, we knew we had something special at the firm. We knew we didn't want it to go away. Um, and so there were five of us who had been in leadership positions of sorts, and we five decided that we wanted to buy the company from his family. His family had never been involved. Um, and everybody we talked to said, you're crazy. You can't do a partnership with five people. And how are you going to figure out what to buy it for? So we um found a great financial partner who did a lot of private equity stuff and a lot of valuing companies. And he partnered with us to come up with a very fair and equitable offer to the family, um, which they were thrilled to accept and we were thrilled to offer to them uh, because Brian had built something special. We wanted to make sure we took care of them. And then we as a team had to figure out how to work together um, to make sure we are aligned on our strategy and the vision for the future, and also recognize that whilst many things were great, 
we also had some opportunities to improve and try to figure out how to move the business forward and come out from under this cloud stronger than we went into it. Interesting. So let me play devil's advocate here for for a minute, Chris, Um, because from a commercial point of view, it, it seems like it would have been uh, maybe simpler and certainly more favorable economically just for the five of you to form a new company under a different name uh, and carry on doing business without having the, uh, you know, to, to then finance a, a deal for the family. Why, what made you decide to stick with the existing uh, brand and which meant that you had to buy the, the, the company? Yeah, great question. Because Mark, we we could have walked away, um, but we would have walked away without the relationships and the database um, and the value that the O'Connell Group had built in the marketplace. Because we are a niche player and we operate in marketing and market research, we were known as one of the experts. And, and we had built a business based on that, on our expertise and our relationship and our long-term focus. Um, and we all felt there was real value in that, and it was worth investing to keep that. We also wanted to keep Brian's legacy around, okay. um, and that was important to us, too, because we all really valued his leadership um, and what he had created. Okay, makes sense. So, um, like, what were some of the difficulties that uh, were involved in kind of keeping the momentum going without the founder whose name is over the door? Um, yeah, so one of the, the the things that was good is Brian had stepped away from day-to-day business about six or nine months earlier. He was writing a book targeted towards the recruiting industry. Oh. So we had been running the company in many ways. So in in that way, it wasn't difficult. But the things that were difficult were, you know, we realized we had our own proprietary database and that it was dated and we needed to go externally. So um, things like, first of all, feeling like we weren't um, damaging Brian's legacy by changing our database and then trying to do research on our own and coming up and realizing we're not the experts. So we need to hire somebody who's an expert to evaluate how we do our business and what the best database for us is, um, was a key turning point for us. Mm. Um, and so we did that and they came in and they said, look, you do contingency and engaged at this point, but you act like a retained recruiter. So you need to go to Encore because they will allow you to store all the data and and it will help you optimize your business further. So um, it was things like that that took us a lot of learning to say, we can try to evaluate all this stuff on our own, but we don't know all the questions to ask. And and so that was a good learning for us because we took it forward as we've made other decisions. So I, I understand the purpose was you wanted to keep the culture and the values and everything that O'Connell Group stood for intact, mm-hmm. but then make positive improvements to yes. the, the way you were, you were working. What were some of the other things that, actually, before we go into the improvement side, like yeah. on a personal level and an emotional level, what impact did Brian's passing have on, on you? And how did you sort of process that at the same time as, you know, continuing to build a business? Um, it was devastating because Brian was not only my boss, but when I was in marketing, he was my favorite recruiter for a decade. And so we had a very special relationship. He was a mentor, he was a friend, he was a boss, he was almost like a big brother to me. So it was beyond devastating. Um, and and when you lose people, uh, you keep them alive day in and day out by honoring their memory and their friendship and what they taught you and, and trying to share that with other people. And that's how I and I think the other folks of the management team um, tried to deal with it. We also kind of felt like by investing our energy and keeping the firm alive, we were keeping his memory alive. Beautiful. I like that. So you identified, okay, we needed uh, a, a better and new database. 
What yes. were some of the other positive changes that you guys introduced, which the, the impact of which has continued to this day? Yeah, so we shifted the compensation system a little bit um, so that high performers um, were recognized, but that also when people were not performing, the company wasn't carrying them. And that gave us more financial stability mm -hmm. and motivated people not to go below a certain level. Mm -hmm. um, we also tapped into, as we were looking at hiring recruiters, we, like many other recruiters, um, didn't always do a good job. You know, it, it's funny because we, that's what we do. We find people for companies to hire and yet finding and hiring great recruiters is challenging. So we realized we needed some technical help and we've started, we started using the peak assessment, um, which we found to be scary, right, you know, dead on in terms of assessing people's potential for being successful is also identifying watchouts that are going to occur that we need to address early on to help them succeed. So those were probably the two biggest things. We also um, instituted something called peer metrics, where on a monthly basis, the recruiters reviewed each other hmm. in terms of key metrics, not just how many referrals did you send out or how many calls are you making, but how are you as a client manager? How are you in terms of um, you know, pushing all candidates equally in terms of sharing all the relevant information so the other recruiters can sell. And so that helps a lot in terms of highlighting the areas that somebody's really great at or the areas that they need to, you know, improve at to be a better partner, recruiter, and client manager. You've you've hit on a few points I'd like to explore further, please, Chris. Um yeah. by the way, how many people are at O'Connell Group right now? Like what's the current team size? Uh, we have, I believe it's 16 people. Okay. And are you all uh, based in the same office normally or are you spread throughout the yeah. country? Well, today, many of us are at our home offices. Yes, for but, sure. Uh, we have two major offices, one okay. here in St. Louis and one in Fairfield, Connecticut. Okay. Then we have somebody who's down in Florida as well. Got it. And have you given any thought to um, expanding into other areas now that everyone's working from home anyway? Um, you know, we have tried over the years hiring people. We hired a couple of people over in New Jersey. Mm -hmm. Um and what we found is, especially when somebody's learning, it is really challenging to be successful at home, you know, without having offices to walk into and resources to rely on. Um, once somebody is a established recruiter and we know that they know what to do, they know how to do it, um, and they're also very motivated and takes initiative, don't need to be told what to do, then I think we'd be more open to it. Mm -hmm. But on the training and learning stage, it's a hard one to do remotely. I hear you. That makes that makes total sense. Um, so a couple of things you mentioned, which are hot topics among owners, are yeah. hiring and compensation. Yes. And it's funny that, as you say, we are so bad as an industry yeah. at our own internal recruitment. Um, it's much harder to be your own client, right, than to help mm -hmm. someone else, help another company. Um, and there's all kinds of reasons for that. But um, what does your hiring process look like now and how do you, you know, measure its success? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so, you know, it, it kind of varies, Mark. Um, when we've looked for junior recruiters, so, you know, kind of newbies who maybe haven't done it before, but somebody who can grow with our company, we've looked at a lot of different ways. We, as talking to the Pinnacle Society, they've talked about people who are hungry, who have had challenges, um, who maybe can't come from a sales uh, background, who have worked for enterprise in their training program um, and different training programs like that. So we have 
tried different ways. We've put ads out and then we've done the peak and we've done in-depth references. Um, and, and that's helped us find some really good junior recruiters with a lot of potential. They don't know the industry, but they have the capability long-term if we train them. The other way we've done it is reached out to people who we know from our industry who are dynamic and personable and and have a very positive sales persona they can talk to anybody they're bubbly they're you know great partners and as they're thinking about where to go in their career we've mentioned to them have you ever thought just as everybody else does um, so we've gone at it both ways but we've learned that um if our gut instinct is like they'd be okay, we don't hire them. We hire people we really think have a lot of potential. But the other thing, Mark, that we've also learned is they've got to have an emotional maturity because as you know, this, this business has ups and downs. And somebody whose emotions go on that roller coaster ride with the ups and downs has a really hard time long-term being successful. Absolutely. It's interesting. You mentioned um, people from your industry, which would be consumer marketing and market research, yeah. or uh, newbies who are kind of, you know, have some sales experience, maybe have done uh, a training program with like enterprise rent a car or something like that. And, uh, but they have that drive and that, you know, hunger to want to, mm -hmm. you know, be and do and have more. Um but you haven't mentioned experienced folks. Both of those would be rookies, albeit one would be a sort of more senior hire and one would be a more junior hire, but they're both newbies. Um, is that a conscious decision not to hire experienced recruiters from either a competitor and or maybe a different industry and, and then teach them about your, your industry? So great question. Um, we did last year hire somebody who had worked at one of our competitors. Then she went back into marketing. She had been a marketing background. We were thrilled to have her join our firm. Um, and it's been a very easy transition and she is great. We are also considering there's a recruiter out there and I'm blanking on his name who does recruiting for the recruiting industry. And some of my pinnacle partners have used him really effectively. So we're considering that looking for people in adjacent industries. If we want to start like a new practice that maybe focuses on e-commerce or private equity play um, and bringing that person in who's experienced and comes with a book of business. So we are exploring that. But given today's climate and truthfully where our revenues are, we're we're focusing on other things to help us come out of this stronger at this moment. I totally make sense. And, and I'm, I'm keen to explore that further as well. The uh, recruiter for recruiters, is that Dalta by any chance? Is it an Irish I, chap? No, I don't think it is. So I All think right. there's somebody else out there. And uh, as I said, some of the pinnacle folks have used this person and say, it's amazing. And I would tell other recruiters, he also says right now, because business is soft across the board, mm -hmm. that a lot of great recruiters have been laid off. Mm -hmm. And so there's some really good talent out there if people want to access it. That's true. That's true. But uh, a lot of firms are thinking, as as you just said, that you know maybe expanding aggressively isn't our number one priority right now. On the other hand, that creates an opportunity, right, for the firms who do want to grow to yes. maybe snap up some talent that under ordinary circumstances wouldn't be available. Um, well, I'll tell you what, I, I'll find the link to my rec to rec guy and if you find out okay. who yours is and I'll post yeah. both names in the show notes here. That's um, great. All right, cool. So <clears throat> coming back to the, the growth plan then uh, or the, the hiring process, I, I've worked with a client for about 10 years when I, I started working with them. There were 15 people. They now have close to yeah. 200 people. And their strategy has almost always been hire rookies um, unless they're already known to them. So they would hire yeah. someone in their network who they already had gotten to know. Mm -hmm. but they do not hire experienced people who they don't personally, they don't personally know. And um, that strategy has been really effective for them. They have a really rigorous kind of hiring process and then yeah. an onboarding and then ongoing 
um, development process that takes people through seven levels of um, their career. Uh, so it's, I think it's seven steps to director is their kind of uh, career uh, roadmap, if you like. Sure. And uh, but they they have put a huge amount of time and effort specifically into hiring, which I think is a different skill set to actually doing the job and you know being an executive yeah. recruiter. How have you guys managed that where you are still uh, working with clients and candidates and, and doing deals? At the same time, you're working strategically on the business as well as in the business. That's a really difficult juggling act. How do you guys uh, manage that? Well, that's a great question, Mark. So as I said, there were five of us to start with partners. And um, then one of the partners retired, and uh, which is great for him. So there are four of us now, three of which are recruiters and one who is our VP of operations. Um, and at first, for many years, we all did everything. You know, all the partners. We met a lot, spent a lot of time, a lot of hours making decisions. And then we came to realize a, we all had different strengths, and B, it was not the most efficient thing to do, and and it was taking time away from recruiting. And so what we did is we had somebody who took over many of the business elements um, and, and really leadership on those. So his job is now to do recruiting 50% of the time, but his 50 other percent is on many of these operational things. So we're getting a new phone system. We're updating our database. He takes the lead on all that stuff. We, you know, he counsels us and we give approval, but he's doing a lot of the legwork. And that has freed up the other two of us to focus more on recruiting. So we bring in the revenues. So um, it's a win-win. But we've learned that you can't do everything and to figure out strengths in the company and leverage them is a really effective way to do it. Great. That makes total sense. Since you're listening to this podcast, it tells me that you're someone who's interested in personal growth and business improvement. That's something we have in common. I really enjoy listening to podcasts, reading, and listening to business books, watching TED Talks. But by far the most important investment I've made in my own development has been working with a coach. It started back in 1999, 2000, when I was working as a recruiter. I hired a coach and he helped me to double my billings in 90 days. It was, it sounds corny, but it was really a life-changing experience. Since then, I've worked with various coaches almost continuously over the years, and it's made a massive difference to my own personal and business success. In fact, that first experience of working with a coach was the catalyst for me ultimately deciding that much as I loved recruitment, my true purpose was to become a coach and enable others to achieve their full potential. Fast forward to today, and I work with recruitment business owners to help them escape the feast and famine roller coaster and create consistent, predictable billings. If you'd like to know more, you can apply for a free strategy session at recruitmentcoach.com forward slash breakthrough. One of the things I'm working on with my coaching group at the moment is drawing their organization chart as they would like their firm to be structured and then yeah. figuring out what are all the different jobs and then, you know, who should be doing what rather than have, you know, especially in small firms, it tends, your name tends to be in almost all the boxes, right? And it's figuring out how you can't grow if you're doing 20 different things. So right. you're figuring out what your strengths are and where you like to, um, you know, what your zone of genius is. Um, in regards to your compensation, you mentioned that you've restructured so that it rewards high achievers and is less of a of a risk to the business if -hmm. someone isn't sort of performing. Could you elaborate a little more on how that works? Yeah. And what I can tell you also is, Mark, we have a crazy convoluted compensation system. Okay. And we do that because we want to be very team oriented and collaborative and support each other. But we also want to recognize individual performance and compensate people who are doing a great job. And so there's components that take in client management and candidate management. Um, so, and then there's also obviously the fee that comes in. So how big a fee it is. Um, 
and we do it on a rolling 12 months, but then everybody gets paid based on their individual percentage of the total pie. So the goal is for everybody to try to help everybody else to succeed so the pie gets bigger and bigger. And then if your percentage is smaller because other people are doing well, it doesn't matter. You're still going to end up and net with more money. Um, but what we did was we said anybody who goes below, I believe it's 200000 in a 12-month period, their percentage goes down. And then if they go below a hundred, it goes down again. Um, so that the company is not carrying them. If they're not performing, you know, they're not getting compensated in the same way. The superstars, anybody who's above 250, even if the team goes below the threshold, they stay at least at the 40% and above. So, um, we try to do it that way. And then also superstars at the end of the year, we will look at what their performance is. And if they've done a phenomenal job, we'll give them a bonus to say, hey, we really value you and recognize what you've brought into the company and want you to know how much we appreciate it. Because we don't want anybody to ever leave because of money or feeling like they weren't fairly compensated. You know, I was going to ask you about that because um, among owners who I speak to, some are just very ambitious and growth oriented and mm -hmm. that's the direction they're going to go. But yeah. one of the fears that inhibits people from hiring and growing their firm is they, they have this mindset of, well, I, I'm going to spend all this time training and mentoring someone and increase my overheads. And then, you know, they're probably just going to leave and set up their own business anyway. So I'm training my competition. So what's the point of doing that? And there's that kind of mental block. Um, right. How have you guys, like what's your thinking around that and how have you approached retaining those high achievers and making sure they never want to go anywhere else? Um, it's a great question. Well, first of all, I'll tell you, we do have a non-compete. Sure. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a pretty good one and a fair one. Mm -hmm. um, second thing is, as Brian set up the company and the culture, as we've retained it, and I think even enhanced it, people are here not just because of the money they can make, but because they really like working here. They feel valued. They feel appreciated. They have flexibility. Um, and yet, and we do ongoing training and we're there as a support and we're team oriented. So I think it's the combination and, and truly we have a core of people who have been here 15, 20, 25 years wow. that don't want to go anywhere because it's their second home. That's amazing. Uh, it's tenure uh, of your staff. That's fantastic. Can yeah. you, like, what are some of the specific things you guys do to foster that feeling of they, um, you know, th it's not just the paycheck, but they actually like working w with you guys specifically? Well, and I think it's not just with us, but it's with each other. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it kind of goes back to the compensation. Mark, many recruiting firms, it's you eat what you kill mm -hmm. and, and you're competing with each other. And the way we operate, because we are long-term focused and we're relationship focused, once you have a candidate in the database, that candidate is yours. And it's your job to build that relationship and get to know the person inside and out. So we're never competing for candidates. Mm -hmm. I think that helps. And the way our compensation system is set up, we all are there to help each other. So if somebody is working on a candidate who has an offer, but it's a thorny one, they reach out to all of us. And we all are there to back them up, to help them, to give ideas. Um, and I think that is unique in the world of recruiting, but I think it's one of the things we all love about the O'Connell Group. Cool. Awesome. So there's a spirit of collaboration, which is baked into the comp plan. Is there yes. anything else specific that you think has created that culture that people, you know, love being part of? Um, I think we all like each other. Like when people from St. Louis go to Connecticut or Connecticut come here, we all get together. Um, we've had two people retire and we've had events for them. And, you know, the folks from St. Louis have flown to Connecticut to celebrate those people. Um, you know, birthday cakes. Uh, we're all loving, like we start every day 
now with Zoom meetings with our team. So independent of where we are, we're, you know, seeing each other and starting off the day. And then I think the other thing is our phone system is such that you can see who's on the phone, who's not. You push a button to connect with somebody so it feels like they're next door versus across the country. And I think that's also helped. Oh, that's cool. Interesting. Yeah. What, do you, uh, are you able to say what is the phone system they're using? Uh, well, it's funny because it was NEC and we are literally changing to Nextiva right now. Okay. So we're in the midst of it. Cool. Um, <clears throat> yeah. So you talked about Zoom and we're going to go there in a second and talk about the current situation. Um, yeah. But can you tell me more about your peer metrics? Because that is fascinating. I've not come across that before. I love that idea. Yeah. So what it is, is, and we actually, this is one thing we need to tighten down, but we have 20 peer metrics that we evaluate each other on monthly, the recruiters do. And it's everything from, you know, finds enough candidates. So that's referrals or send outs, as people call them, mm -hmm. uh, makes enough phone calls, reaches enough new people, uh, does focuses on business development, brings in new clients, does a great job managing the clients, gives me the information I need to sell effectively, um, communicates with others and and doesn't let things fester. And so we evaluate each other on those things, a scale of one to five. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I want to say 2% of our revenues goes into that pot. So there is a financial piece of that as well. But it's also a reflective piece. So each month you evaluate each other and then you look at it and you say, okay, what does the team think I'm doing well at what does the team think I am not doing well at? What do I need to focus on this month to be a better partner with them, a better client manager, and a better recruiter? I'm just trying to understand the logistics of this. Does everybody evaluate everyone else or is it yes. only like in a smaller pod or how does it? Nope, everybody. Okay. So all the recruiters are on the list and then there's 20 things and you just go through and give them a score of one, zero to Five. And some of the things you can't evaluate somebody on. So you just leave it blank. I was going to say, what if I don't feel like I I know how that person is performing that area because I haven't seen, haven't worked closely enough with them in that sure. area? You just leave it blank. Okay. And that doesn't help them or hurt them when you leave it blank. It's Got it. But otherwise, you know, if there's somebody who I feel like... Um, isn't making enough phone calls. I kind of mm -hmm. like, what the heck are they doing with their day? I tell them loud and clear. I, mm -hmm. I give them a one or a one and a half. Now they never mm -hmm. know who gives what because they just kind of get the overview. Okay. But the message comes across loud and clear. You know, and not only might management team mm -hmm. be talking to them saying, hey, what's what's distracting you? Why aren't you making calls? Let's put a plan in place where you can bang out 30 calls first thing in the morning, and then you can do the rest of your stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but it also impacts, you know, a couple hundred bucks here or there impacts their pocketbook. Great. That's interesting. I've not come across that before. Yeah. Um, so, okay, let's uh, shift gears here a little bit. And um, I want to talk about how you guys are dealing with the current situation with this, the market being so yeah. uncertain and volatile and, and a lot of companies pressing pause on, you know, their hiring activity. What are you seeing? And then what is your game plan for, you know, moving through and out of this? Yeah. So um, I've been doing this for 25 years. And so I've seen, you know, September 11th, I've seen the financial crisis. Um, I've never seen anything like this. I mean, that is rocking everybody to their core. We were probably 55 jobs. Um, then we, you know, everything kind of went on hold. We're probably now at 20 jobs, but not even all those are real. Those are ones that are coming up. Um, so it is challenging. And, and I don't know about you, but thank God for the PPP. It helped a lot in terms of holding us over and helping us do things. But the steps we're taking, Mark, our philosophy is whenever we go into these times of crises um, where we can't control the external market, we can control what we do. 
And so we've taken many steps. So one is streamlining. How do we take costs out of our business? And um, a great example is up in Connecticut. Our lease was coming up for renewal and we had way too much space. And so my partner, Ken, was able to work with the folks. He looked at a lot of other spaces, but work with the folks where he is now and we're cutting the office in half and and redoing it. It's going to be a little bit smaller, you know, office spaces, but still really nice. Uh, and so it's saving us half of our rent up there. Um, We had been talking about, as I mentioned, switching phones, and we just had not ever found the time to do it. We're switching phones to Nextiva. They're going to, it's going to save us a bunch of money. That's one thing, but it's also going to be a lot more effective. We're going to be able to do our phones from our mobile phones, from our computer. Um, We're not losing any of the capability we had on our old phone, but we're gaining a lot of capability. And then the third thing is we had been talking about updating our Encore. That was the third thing. And we um, are taking this time to, as we go through our database, really and truly focus on cleaning up the database and we're going to be updating the database. So we're doing that. We also are doing a lot of business development. We've really built up our business development capabilities and focusing on that. And then the last thing, as you know, is I wrote this book, Ignite Your Career and Launch Services, um, which are complete coaching, resume writing, interview prep, and negotiation so that we can have multiple revenue streams as an ongoing thing. So, because there are a lot of people who reach out to us, just like I'm sure they do to you and other recruiters that are not in our sweet spot. So I want to offer them services that they can tap into, but truly monetize them because we don't have the time anymore to help everybody. So those are the things that we're doing that I think while certainly times are tough and this is not going to be a good year um, at all. Uh, but I think we're going to come out of this much stronger than we went into it because we've been very strategic and focused on how do we streamline, cut cost, and how do we increase um, our capabilities going forward. Sounds like a fantastic plan. I, I'm right there with you. And a couple of follow-ups. One is your yeah. coaching service. What did you call What is that called? It's Complete Coaching. Okay. And uh, it's kind of what we take our candidates through when we start working with them, helping them assess their strengths and where they want to go in their career and what type of culture do they thrive in and where do they want to end up long term and putting a plan in place with them Mm -hmm. on how do we get there and then all the nuts and bolts and helping them, optimizing the resume doing, you know, interview prep with them so they stand out. When it comes time to receiving an offer, helping them negotiate in a very positive, productive manner, Mm -hmm. and then also helping them resign so that they build goodwill versus lose it, that they recognize that counteroffers do not work, that they're a short-term fix and they will continue to be unhappy for the reasons they started to search. So the complete coaching is really A to Z, But then there are also many times where candidates, their resume is just not resonating in the marketplace and they need somebody to tighten it down or their resume is doing well, but they are bombing in the interview and they don't know why. Or they have an offer and they want somebody in their corner helping them negotiate it very quickly in a positive way to make the offer more competitive, but build goodwill along the way. So those are the services that we're excited to offer. Great. I love it. It's a it's a good pivot. Have you launched it yet? And and we have launched okay. it. And it's exciting. It's, you know, people can find it at www.igniteyourcareerbook.com. They can buy the book there, but they also can review the different services. Fantastic. Well, I'd um we'll talk about your book in more detail in just a second. I actually did a webinar a few well, maybe I think it was in March, a few months ago, about how to um, add coaching as a revenue stream to your recruiting practice. Mm-hmm. And because I've been 
selling coaching and delivering coaching for uh, 19 years now. I felt like I had some value or expertise to, to share in that regard. Um, I think it's definitely, if it's done well and it's done in the right way, it can be a great way to add some revenue and also um, strengthen, as you say, you know, have multiple streams of income and uh, yep. strengthen those candidate relationships who they may turn into clients down the road anyway, right? Right. What inspired you to write Ignite Your Career? Um, so I have been thinking about writing this book, Mark, for 15 years. Mm -hmm. uh, 15 years ago, I started working with Washington University here in St. Louis and going to their MBA program and presenting to them. And the kids were hungry for the information. They have a great career center. Um, since that time, I've had three kids either go through college or in college um, at great liberal arts schools. And I've also gone there and presented. And these are elite schools. And yet the kids, again, are really hungry for it. And so I started thinking about all the kids in the second tier schools where they don't have the funding, um, community colleges, and that this is really a gap out there. And that combined with the fact when my youngest went to college two years ago, it threw me for a loop. And I started working with a coach. Um, and what came out of that was when I talked about the book, I lit up like a Christmas tree. And he really said, what's holding you back? You know, why aren't you doing this? And so that motivated me to start working on it last fall. And then when the pandemic hit, I realized there is never gonna be a greater need in the marketplace. And so that motivated me to get up a lot of mornings at 4 a.m. and finish writing it and get it out as soon as possible because the world needs it. Um, and in reality, you know, as a recruiter, you can only talk to so many people in a day. And I want to reach more people. I really wanna leave a legacy and, and, you know, so I wrote this book for the college student, the young professional, the career changer to help them figure out strategically where they wanted to go and give them the tools to get there. Love it. That's real. What an awesome purpose that gets you up. Like you're, you're up at 4am with Dwayne, the rock Johnson, uh, to, <laughs> to bang funny. out your words for the day. That's brilliant. And um, I love the idea of being able to reach more people. That's what inspired me to do the yeah. podcast as well is because yeah. I, can, I can have an impact on more people. And, um, and so that's what kind of inspires me as well. So you, you said the book's aimed at um, graduates, uh, career changers, any particular mm -hmm. like group that you had in mind when you're writing this? You know, really... It's for anybody because, you know, it's while I have stories about marketers, mm -hmm. the principles that I'm applying go across every industry. And, and, you know, for interview prep, for example, I did a session with, you know, medical fellows a couple of years ago, helping them do interview prep. And it was just as impactful for them as it was for an ABM or a chief marketing officer who I take through the same thing. So what I wrote and how I wrote it is really relevant across every industry. Brilliant. Okay. Well, I'm I, I'm going to order my copy on Amazon.co.uk yeah. here. I checked before I interviewed. It is available over here as well. So yes. uh, so that's awesome. And g just going back to your plan for how you're uh, dealing with the pandemic. So yeah. you said um, number one is streamlining. Uh, operations, looking for where you can cut costs. Number two was uh, increasing business development. And number three, and not in just increasing it, but up, up leveling that and sure. you know, getting everyone, you know, skills honed. Number three was this pivot to offering, you know, coaching as well. Um, I think those are the three key points. Did I miss, miss any? Uh, the other one is technology. Okay. You know, the phone and our database and, you know, now we have the time and the energy to do these things we've been wanting to do mm -hmm. and taking that moment and upgrading. So, I mean, our thought is we're viewing this like we're getting ready for the race of our life. And, and so we are prepping ourselves. We're doing all the work, the training, so that as the cloud lifts, mm -hmm. you know, we can run like we've never run before. Absolutely. That's a good analogy. 
on the business development, what yeah. is the, how have you adapted your messaging? Because I feel like the, what worked six months ago is now falling on deaf ears. It doesn't, it's just out of sync with, with kind of what clients and candidates are experiencing. How have you guys adapted your approach to, to BD? Yeah, that's a great question. So we've honed our message, first of all, Mark, where we've gotten more quantifiable. Um, so, you know, we have, you know, our average is a slate of six people. They want to interview four. They bring two finalists in and they make an offer. And we have an 85% acceptance rate. So quantifiable um, information is is really great. And we have a great visual to go along with it, a one-page document. Mm-hmm. The other thing is we're talking to people. You know, companies uh, have internal recruiters and they're looking on LinkedIn and they're getting a lot of resumes. So we kind of position it as, look, if you want to hire anybody, you can do that on your own. But if you want to hire the right body and, you know, the person who is going to move the dial and drive your business forward, you want the best of the best. And that's what we're going to bring to you. So, you know, it's talking about streamlining and efficiencies, but it's also really upgrading the talent because we know the marketplace so well. So it's kind of the one-two punch. Great. Um, Touching on, you mentioned internal recruiters. Do you... are you guys seeing that there may in the short to medium term be uh, an opportunity where companies have reduced the size of their internal talent teams? Um, you know, it's a great question. I have not seen that yet. I, I bet they have. What I have seen is a lot of companies have put their jobs on pause. And, and in my field, in consumer packaged goods, where, you know, our key focus is, that business for the most part has done exceptionally well. If you think about food and household products and over-the-counter drugs and vitamins, minerals, supplements, and all those things are booming, some up over 100%. But we also have to realize they've had to spend a lot of money on supply chain and keeping their people safe. So the sales are higher, but the revenues may not be. Mm -hmm. Um, But then as they're looking to the future, they're realizing innovation is critical and with everything going on in the world, that messaging to consumers and, and being appropriate and resonating is also critical. So having the right talent who can help them do that, it's really important. So it's us staying on top, us being communicating. It's us reaching out to all the CEOs and, and CMOs we know and just being really consistent in the message. So when they are ready to hire, we're top of mind. You got it. That's a perfect place to um, to finish up, Chris. And to, actually, there's one thing I'd like to share with you while, uh, while yeah. I've got you. I've started doing these um, stoic moments, I'm calling them. In fact, I haven't done it for a long time. So apologies, because I promised this right at the beginning when I started doing this podcast. And then uh, I just got caught up in the interviews and would forget to do them. So yeah. um, I'd love to take the opportunity while I've got you to get your thoughts on this as well. I'm reading um, or rereading, I should say, uh, The Meditations by Marcus Aurelius. And uh, he was a Roman emperor re- emperor um, in the early part of uh, the first century. So like 121 AD, I think he was born. So okay. what I love about this is, although it was written like 2000 years ago, it's so relevant to today and especially in the recruiting business which as you mentioned we have these ups and downs that we have to that we have to deal with um what i like about marcus aurelius is that he this was not intended to be published it's he's like you're reading his diary basically and he's written these um entries for himself which i kind of find reassuring that even this guy had not mastered himself. He was like, these are like notes to himself kind of thing. This, these are things I have to think about or things I need to remember. So yeah. the thing I was, I pulled out today uh, is from book two in the meditations. Um, so by the way, just as a context, stoicism is not letting external events affect your internal state. That's basically what it, what it's all about and not being overly influenced by events and circumstances, which we, we have no control over. 
Yeah. So he is writing, say to yourself first thing in the morning, today I shall meet people who are meddling, ungrateful, aggressive, treacherous, malicious, unsocial. All this has afflicted them through their ignorance of true good and evil. So what I like about this is, number one, he's mentally preparing himself for the day by almost reminding himself to what, you know, this is stuff is going to happen today. I'm going to meet people who are, you know, going to be in conflict with me, who are going to be nasty or negative or, you know, whatever. And I think part of the reason he's doing that is to be mentally prepared so that it doesn't impact him as much, right? Yeah. Whereas if you were not expecting that and it sort of, you know, comes at you, then it might throw you off balance a little easier. But he's he knows this is going to happen. So he's setting his expectation. But the other thing I like is that he almost takes an attitude he's feeling sorry for them, right? It's out of their ignorance. He's, they haven't mastered themselves. And yeah. that's why they're behaving in these ways. And so rather than interpret it as, oh, you know, people don't like me or, you know, I'll, these challenging situations, maybe I'm not good enough, I'm not up to this or whatever. Um, he's making it about them. They've not mastered themselves, so I'm not I'm not going to let it inside. I'm not going to let it throw me off my, uh, my stride. So anyway, I'm going to just pick little segments of this uh, book as I'm rereading it and if, encourage you guys to pick it up. I'm reading the Penguin Classic Edition, but there's a few different translations out there. Um, so thanks for being my audience for that, uh, Chris. No, I, I think that's great. And I think it's so relevant to our business because there's so much out of our control. Clients, you know, spouses, things that come up out of left field. And, you know, all of us are going to have moments of frustration and it's figuring out a way to dissipate them quickly so that you can get back on the phone and do your job and do what you love. Well said. That's the perfect uh, place to finish. So listen, if you guys want to find out more about the O'Connell Group, it's O'ConnellGroup.com. Be sure to check out IgniteYourCareerBook.com. And uh, of course, reach out to Chris Holmes on LinkedIn. I'll put all her contact info in the show notes um, below this podcast. So thanks for listening. And Chris, thank you for, for doing this. I appreciate you. Mark, it was awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to The Resilient Recruiter. If you've enjoyed the show, the best way you can show your support is to click that subscribe button. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.